Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Paralegal Voice here on Legal Talk Network. I'm Carl Morrison, a legal operations professional and advanced certified paralegal, and your host of the Paralegal Voice. So I'm going to ask my listeners how many of you guys love eDiscovery. I'm sure some of you guys are going, I hate eDiscovery. I don't want to talk about that. No, you're going to love this show. I'm sure there are a lot of you that are listening that are legal tech nerds like me and geek out over technology and and e-discovery, but I'm sure that many of you guys have had challenges and what kind of challenges that you've encountered when you're dealing with what's called evidence lifecycle management or ELM, as I'm going to shorten that for our show. And, you know, the challenges of identifying a system, processes around a system, you know, implementing the best and efficient way to do e-discovery. And my guest today is an amazing guy. I've known him for, I guess, a couple of years, Ben. And um, he's amazing. His name is Ben Hengels with Legal, which you're going to be surprised. Legal is actually spelled L-I-G-L, which is interesting. Um, But Legal is a company that um, really helps us in the profession, take control of that digital evidence enterprise-wide and really optimize the e-discovery process, eliminate the risk, things of that nature. And so with today's show, I really wanted to talk with Ben about, you know, the strategies and insight into e-discovery and the ELM process. And so, Ben, thank you so much for joining us today. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Carl, for having me. It's great to reconnect with you after all these years. You know, as you mentioned, you're we we first met in a uh, in a uh, the law firm world where I was on the service provider side, and you were a paralegal in the law firm world, and and here we are today, and uh, it's just great to be with you. Thanks for having me. Thank you. I can't believe that's actually been probably what six years now. So it's been a while. Exactly. Let's jump off into the questioning, and let's just start kind of with the basics for some of the listeners that may be new to what we're talking about. And when we say evidence lifecycle management or ELM, what does it mean when we talk about ELM? Sure. You know, the evidence lifecycle is really, you know, you, you want to think about it in a few different ways. Um, and you can think about it in the most basic form, right? I'm all about breaking things down and making, making things super simple. So um, I'll just start with the most simple form, which is thinking about your enterprise data sources. What are you using for email? Is it Microsoft 365? Is it Google? And so thinking about those data sources, thinking about the way you collaborate with your teams, that's how you can identify the different data sources that your organization needs to consider. You know, Microsoft 365, for example, has four different data sources um, that you need to consider when you're collecting and and, uh, passing on that information for discovery. So that those four are Exchange, SharePoint, OneDrive and Teams. And those data sources can be very complex in terms of how they're organized and structured. So you want to find a provider or a vendor that understands those technologies and can be an expert uh, for you in that process. I work in the gaming and hospitality industry and we're one property. And for our particular enterprise, there's over 200 different systems, which, you know, from an e-discovery standpoint, that's really a complex situation. So, you know, depending on the company, depending on the size, you may only have a few data sources or you may may have as as complex as something that I deal with, which, you know, having someone like yourself involved in understanding the the whole EML ELM 
process is really vitally important. So, you know, when we look at, Ben, you know, the challenges of dealing with this whole evidence life cycle, you know, what do you think are two of the biggest challenges? Someone like me in legal ops or paralegal that struggles with dealing with ELM. Yeah, sure. So the first is just education and getting to understand what data sources are out there and and how to manage those data sources. So um, kind of back back to what I was saying earlier, there's Microsoft and all of those four data repositories. There's Google, which has, you know, Google Vault as a compliance center and uh, you know, those data sources are mail and chat and drive. And then, and those are simple. Those are your cloud data sources. But then your organization may have invested 10 years ago in some sort of leg- legacy repository. And uh, at the time, that was a great solution to store information. Um, and maybe it was just a terabyte at the time. But now with the explosion of data, uh, that, that repository is probably in the 20 to 30 to 40, 40 terabyte range. So finding a vendor that really specializes in this is your best bet. Finding a service provider that specializes this in this is your, is your best bet. And really the best way to do that is, you know, leveraging your existing relationships, you know, kind of that theme of today's of today's meeting might might be relationship-based, right? You and I knowing each other six years ago and coming together here today. Relationships is a huge part of our industry, and there's so many great people in this industry that want to help and, and uh, you know, really smart, intelligent people that are really uh, willing to help you along the way. So I hope that answers your question, Carl. Yeah, no, that that does. And, and you know, for me, as the user, the 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 person that deals with, I, I'll add to that. You know, a couple of my biggest challenges that I deal with uh, when we're talking about evidence lifecycle is what I just mentioned a second ago. Is I work for a company that there's so many different data sources, and you know, collaborating and working with someone like yourself, helping me to understand. Okay, well, these five systems can you know communicate with a a vendor or a, a a system or a dashboard to to able to collect but we're going to have to also work through the quote unquote manual process how are we going to extract that data from a system in order to whether it be able to be ingested into a dashboard a system application to be able to process it or are we going to have to figure out okay well this is never going to speak to a system so we're just going to have to figure out the manual process in order to build because, Ben, wouldn't you agree the, the ultimate goal is to get all the data that is relevant to a matter that you either have to hold for litigation purposes, a lit hold, or you're going to have to produce in response to discovery requests. Wouldn't you say that's right? Yeah, and you're and you're selling our application here for me, and I really appreciate <laughs> that. Um, just to, to introduce legal as well um, as you have before, but just to add to that, you know what we're doing is um, we're we're an enterprise software, and we're software as a service. And what we do is allow uh, corporations to self-drive the entire discovery and investigation lifecycle from a single pane of glass. 
So we integrate with your HR system, we integrate with your matter management, we integrate with your data sources, some of the data sources I've mentioned already, like M365 and Google and Slack, um, your collaboration data sources like Slack and Teams. We integrate with those so that we can bring all of these different applications into one single pane of glass. You can manage everything from one location. And one of the things you mentioned were the more complicated data sources like your mobile devices, your laptops, on-premise data sources. We can still allow you to manage those from our application. Maybe you build a SOP, a workflow around how you manage that data outside of legal, but then bringing it back in. As long as there's a full chain of custody in one location, that's what our customers are really appreciating about our application. You hit the nail on the head and um, I could, you and I could sit here and talk about all the challenges, but having the chain of custody is so vitally important because that's how you are able to defend your, you know, e-discovery processes to the court when you have to, God forbid, testify about how you did e-discovery. So system like yours, that's great to hear that, you know, there are vendors out there that have an application that can at least help with the chain of custody if there are systems. Because like I said, our particular entity, there's very unique proprietary systems that are never going to speak to any any e-discovery application out there because it's just such a unique beast. And having something like that, that's so important to have that chain of custody. So that's that's a great point that you bring up. Um let me ask you, we've been talking about the what I'm calling the ELM beast, and it is a beast. <laughs> I, I, I think everyone will agree about that. So when we approach, whether you're new to the industry in the way of either it's legal ops or you're new in-house corporate paralegal and you're having to tackle, um, you know, you're going to implement an e-discovery system within your enterprise what would you say to an individual how to approach, you know, looking at a system, investigating the systems that are out there that you have to, you need to inquire, acquire and implement to assist with this ELM beast? How, how would you guide someone to do that? Sure. It's a great question. It's kind of a two-part answer. I think the first part is a little bit of discovery, internal discovery, where you need to put on your investigator cap and and start talking to all the different stakeholders along the process and along the way within your organization. So IT, risk, cybersecurity, all of those departments are super important. And some of the best legal departments that I've seen and, and worked with today, um, all of those stakeholders are at the table working together. You know, I just came out of uh, Legal Week 2022 in New York City, and we met with a number of corporations, you know, hosting them in our, in our suite at the Warwick across from the conference. And, um, you know, the, the legal departments that truly get it and that are trying to uh, add innovative change and, and transform the way they're doing things, they have all of those stakeholders in the meeting. It's not just e-discovery. It's illegal operations. It's IT. It's risk and, and cyber all working together. Um, all looking for a, a integrated platform where they can collaborate together, and that's and that's fortunately what we're bringing to the market today. So I'm super excited about that. Um, so that so part one is kind of um, you know working with the internal teams, your internal resources, identifying your business issues, and then 
once you determine that 10 to 20% gap where you need support, it's part two is finding the right vendor who can help fill that for you and, and building an SOP and a workflow with both people and technology um, to fill that gap. You're, you're talking about, you know, including your um, stakeholders, the business stakeholders. And when I first started at the company where I'm at five years ago, you know, that was what I, one of the, the main reasons I was brought on was to set up the e-discovery process, our playbook. Um, you know, they had already purchased a system. Um, so I didn't get to choose the system, unfortunately. Um, I wouldn't have chosen it, but <laughs> I, I won't go down that road. But, um, you know, I had a system already in hand. So implementing the playbook, implementing the system itself, standing it up, getting it running, it wasn't just me. It wasn't just legal that was involved. I exactly what you said. I had to deal with risk management, IT, cyber. You know, I worked closely with, you know, different stakeholders in order to develop and create the best processes around the application so that, like I said earlier, the ultimate goal is defensibility on, you know, what we're doing for, for our e-discovery processes and applications. So um, it was important to have them in the room to help. Um, it's not just buying the system, standing it up and going, okay, great. It's done. Woohoo. Yay. And also the vendor, uh, you know, we worked closely with the vendor, uh, to implement and work with them in developing the appropriate workflows and processes. So yeah, it's important, uh, to not work in a vacuum. Uh, wouldn't you agree? Yeah, totally. Fragmented workflows, costly silos, those are some of the things that uh, corporations are dealing with today. And how do we save time? How do we collaborate better? Those are some of the themes that are, are popping up in our discussions with, with, uh, with the in-house counsel and, and legal operations teams that we're meeting with today. So it's funny that that kind of leads into, and we didn't do this, people, seriously. It leads into my next question that, you know... <laughs> Where do legal ops people, professionals, paralegals get in trouble when they're first tackle, tackling the ELM process? You know, what do you find, Ben, is the common problem people find themselves when they first start identifying the processes to stand up to implement an e-discovery? Hmm. That's a that's a tough question. I, I think really what I'm seeing in terms of a trend, uh, like historically legal operations has has been and historically is like the last few years right um because it is a newer uh role within the organization but it's mostly been clm management right and so i'm starting to see on my side uh in the more in the discovery side that legal operations professionals are starting to take on more of the discovery and, and more of how do we save cost around downstream discovery and how do we start adding automation to this process um, because legal ops is really, I mean, my perception of it so far, and would love to hear yours, is is that it's all about workflows and and creating uh, standard operating procedures and 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 saving money for the organization. Um, I'd love to hear your answer on that as well. But um, what I'm seeing is that they're starting to dabble more into e-discovery, and so education is everything, right? And there's so many different resources out there uh, to to get up to speed on e-discovery and trends. Happy to, to name drop a few of, of my favorite that I follow just for my own personal self-growth within the industry, if that makes sense. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So um, ACEDS is a big one, um, you know, sort of. Uh, Association of Certified E-Discovery Specialists. Uh, I personally am taking, uh, studying for that exam today, and that's that's something I would highly recommend to others. Uh, they also do free uh, LinkedIn live case of the week case studies. Um, so highly recommend checking those out. Uh, EDRM is another one with with Kaylee and Mary Mack. They they have a podcast where they interview some of industry leaders and and talk about topics in the industry. Um, just to name drop a few more, um, David Cowan and his Cowan Cafe. He's always uh, bringing in in house contacts, in house legal operations, e discovery specialists. That's a great. Uh, that's a great group of people. Definitely try to get yourself in there if you're interested, if you're in-house and interested in learning more and, and networking with other in-house p- people. David Cowan's Cafe is a, is a great resource for that as well. That's great. Actually, you know, having resources like that's important for us in the profession to always continue to educate. I'm a huge proponent of education, whether it's formalized education or just simply listening to podcasts like this podcast um, you know, that's how you stay on top of what's going on in the industry and grow as a professional. So it's important. And to go back to the question real quick, I just want to also add to what you were saying that, you know, one of the common problems I see, and it's hard unless you are in a startup company um, and are able to select applications for your CLM, your contract lifecycle management system, or your document management system, and and the systems that you know work in the company itself. Unless you're able to start at the, the ground up and look at all these systems as you're implementing your e-discovery system and processes, sometimes it's it's not like that. You walk into an ent- entity where they don't have an e-discovery process; they just have a bunch of systems. And you got to figure out what's the best way to, you know, approach this e-discovery beast. How do I tackle this? You know, because I didn't get to choose all these other applications and how they're going to work with the system. So that's a common problem is just understanding what it is that you're trying to do, the long goal, what's the long game that you're implementing, uh, and, you know, kind of tackle it from there. So that's kind of just my... Uh, addition to what you were just saying, Ben. So we're coming to commercial break. So let's take a short commercial break. So don't turn that dial. NALA members receive exclusive content, such as the Paralegal Utilization and Compensation Survey Report, access to a members-only collaboration site, discounts on office products and car rental, access and preferred placement on a web platform for paralegal contract jobs, and access to the member-only career center. NALA members also receive discounted education and products. Join NALA today and become a part of our community. Learn more at NALA.org. Contract automation isn't a trend. It's a strategic imperative. Though big players in the e-sign world will make you believe implementing it will cost you big bucks and more than a few headaches, it doesn't have to be that way. DocuB is an easy-to-onboard, full suite of products and includes e-signature, brilliant workflow capabilities, and AI contract automation at nearly half the price of those out-of-touch behemoths. The one thing DocuB doesn't automate? Their customer service. Visit get.docub.com slash contracts to set up a call with a real live person. DocuB will be with you every step of the way. Welcome back to the Paralegal Voice. 
So before the break, we were talking about sort of the basics of ELM, evidence lifecycle management, and sort of looking at it, what I call that 30,000-foot view, just kind of getting our feet wet for those listeners that may be new to this whole concept. So I kind of now want to dive into the weeds, and let's get down dirty uh, for a moment. Let's talk about the processes involved with ELM. And so I kind of want to delve into the concept of it in and outside of technology, Ben. So what's the first thing a paralegal, a legal ops person should be doing when creating this whole e-discovery process? I like to start from the beginning and focus on uh, data mapping. So information governance, and uh, I had a mentor of mine say, what's information governance? Information is data and governance is management. So data management, how do we manage our data? Evidence lifecycle and data management kind of are, are hand in hand. So I like to identify all the data sources, and we, we, we keep talking about this, but um, the cloud data sources are first. Those are the most prevalent in today's um, uh, you know ecosystem. Um, then you have to get into the more difficult data sources like your on-premise data sources if you have those, your legacy storage data sources if you have those. Uh, you know, it may be in your industry, uh, Carl, like video video storage as well is something that you have to consider. So identifying all of those, mapping those out, and then working with a vendor or partner to help you uh, then create that playbook. Like I've said, I, I think I'm going to be a little bit of a broken record on on this podcast today, <laughs> but I truly believe in, in investing in the people who are um, specialists and, and leveraging your Lowe's relationships. You know, uh, the service provider world is very competitive um, today more than ever. And so um, they're always trying to look for ways to differentiate, whether it's through free CLEs or um, just even if you have a, a an agreement with them, um, a managed services agreement, they're they're going to give you that information and they're going to do it uh, to to try to stand out and be a, a trusted, valued partner. You know, you're exactly right with you know what you're saying there, and you're not a broken record, so <laughs> <laughs> you're you're hitting home the point that we're trying to make here that you've got to leverage your network. You've got to, you know, approach this from a, you know, a standpoint of it's not in a silo, you know, involving your your stakeholders, things of that nature. And, you know, I, I find and I've talked with other paralegals and legal ops people that, you know, sometimes they they haven't considered, you know, when they start to implement a process or the processes up front and they get into it without really doing the work up front, data mapping for a great example. Um, and they find out, you know, they implement this whole e-discovery system and three, la three years later, they're like, whoops, I've got this Gordian knot that now I have to undo because I didn't, you know, really think about this. Are you finding that also? with some of the individuals that you're working with and talking with that some people are, are not doing the, the dirty work up front. They're just getting it started because there's maybe pressures, you know, from leadership and they're just getting it implemented and they really didn't think, are you seeing that same thing or is it just me? 
No, totally. I mean, when I joined 10 years ago um, in the industry, I just th- that those situations happen every single day and it's becoming less and less, which is it makes my life a lot easier. Um, but at the same time, the reason we built legal um, in, in our application is so that we can be this open API interface uh, plat- platform that can connect to whatever systems that are required and we can help you manage everything. You can self-drive it all from one location. Um, and so whatever mess you're dealing with, whatever Gordian knot that you're dealing with, uh, legal is a, an open application that can integrate. And I like to, we like to say that 80% of the application is ready to go for the market and 20% of it is ready for your custom workflows and or your you know business issues that you need help with solving. Um, that's how we like to uh, approach our, our customers and, and have those types of conversations with them. So you need to look for an application that is flexible um, and that is trying to uh, bring transformation to the process. Um, that's the best way to uh, untie that knot, if you will. I love two of the words that you have just said, you know, with this answer and the previous answer, transformation and innovation, because that is so key. Um, if you don't have that, then you're stagnant you're not going to be, you're going to be dealing with that knot continually. You have to transform, you have to be innovative in how you approach the whole e-discovery, you know, the evidence life cycle. Otherwise, you're just constantly going to be beating your head against the wall. So um, what advice would you give Ben to a paralegal, to a legal ops person, if they hadn't approached you know, the whole design, you know, data mapping implementation of the e-discovery system from a future forward, future thinking perspective, what would you tell them how to approach and undo that massive knot? It kind of depends on the issue at hand, right? Um, Of course, that's the answer for most things. Everything's uh, based on context, but, you know, just about breaking things down as simply as possible Understanding your business use cases, understanding how your organization works is truly what's most important to solving your your issue. So um, it's it's not just looking at it um, like granularly, but also from this 30,000 foot view of how does my organization work? What's most important to my organization and how can I bring value and tying all those things together to solve solve the issue? I think I know that's kind of a. I wish I could get more granular on that answer, um, but uh, I think it's all of these key details, like what type of organization are you, what are who are the stakeholders. You you really need to think about everything involved in order to actually solve the issue at hand. One of the things that you just said was about use cases and understanding the business, and that's so vitally important. I would I would give the same advice: is you have to understand your business. You have to understand the use cases for the systems and applications that are being used because that helps drive the whole evidence lifecycle. That helps you understand how I'm going to preserve, collect, and produce the data in the future in response to a matter, you know. So you can't work in a way that oh, I've got five different systems or seven different systems. And okay, I really don't know how what the use cases are for these, but I know the the tech side of the application. So uh, I'm fine. Well, you can't because you really have to understand how do each of these systems work 
how are they being utilized on the business side? Are they generating reports? Are they generating additional data? Where's that data being stored? Things of that nature. So you really have to understand it. So I would give the same advice. Use case, understanding use case and how the business uses the systems is important. Otherwise, you're just going to be tying up a knot, right, Ben? Yeah, yeah. It's it's really this holistic approach where you're considering everything that you can or you have, you know you have access to, and and then it's um, you know further it's then going out to the experts and getting advice. You know, I I like to think about like when you go to a doctor, if you you hear something from your doctor and you don't really like it, well, I'm going to go get a second opinion. I mean, that's what you should be doing with your uh, vendors, with your whether it's a software vendor or a service provider. That's what you should be doing. Really challenging them and, and getting the best answer and, and uh, you know, going back to the drawing board. Vendors like me because I don't want to have the car salesman pitch. <laughs> I, <laughs> I want to get into the system and I'm going to push the system. I want to try to break it. I always tell a vendor, I'm going, I want to break your system or see if I can break your system in this demo because that, then that will tell me the, you know, putting the stress test to it, is it going to work? You know, so <laughs> vendors either like that or don't. So I'll, I'll just put that out there. <laughs> yeah. And, and I, I know where this is a audio recording, not video, but I'm just smiling right now because we, we at legal, we encourage sandbox activity before anyone acquires our software. Um, we want you to play around with the tool. We want you to feel comfortable. We want to hear from you as a customer and get your feedback. We take our customers' feedback very, very seriously. So highly recommend that is this is good advice for sure. If you're in the, a position where you're going to acquire some legal software, definitely request uh, sandbox and, and POC activity. Yep, agreed. Okay, I, we're getting low on our time, so I've got a couple of quick questions, one of which I got to know, Ben, how did the company come up with the name legal L I G L? Is it just a play on words or is that, is it an acronym? What is legal? I, I love that question. Um, it is a play on words. Uh, it, it is a play on words, as you said. And it's funny when you're in conversations with, with the customer, you may have these different stakeholders and they'll call on the, and they'll call on legal. And then all of a sudden the legal department starts answering in, instead of uh, the software <laughs> vendor. And that always is entertaining to me. Um, it, it's a play on words. Uh, maybe we'll, you know, have to sign an NDA for me to explain fully where we came, how we came up with that. <laughs> I love it. Well, okay, Ben, I always have a fun question for my guests. So I have to know, and I'll play it with you, so I, I will share my answer as well. But sure, I want you to pull out your phone, if you don't already have it out, and tell us what your most used emoji is. Oh, okay. <laughs> Let's see here. Well, I have a, I have a few. Um, I'll give you one that's a little more serious and then another that's a little less serious. The one that I really like is the... Um, kind of the, I call them the hands of the, the hands of gratitude, but oh, you right. can call uh -huh. them the, the prayer hands as yeah. well. Um, I'm super grateful for like all the people that have helped me in my career and especially like my team. So I send this to my team all the time. Like, thank you for everything you do. Cause without them, they, I would be nowhere and our product would be nowhere. So I, I really like those a lot, but then more on the less serious side. Um, I love the, the shaka hand that kind of like the, the hang loose hand. Cause it oh, just right. is uh -huh. a reminder to just hang loose and just enjoy life and not take life too seriously. Mine is um, the 
laughing emoji with the tears because I'm, <laughs> I guess I'm constantly laughing or laughing at what someone is saying to me. So that was like my number one emoji on the top of the list was that one. So I echo, you got to have fun. You got to laugh. Uh, you got to enjoy life and hang loose. So um, it is a serious world we live in and a serious industry we work in. So um, enjoy life. That's my, my mantra, but yes, I, I guess I laugh a lot. So <laughs> yeah, laughing is laughing is number three, I would say for me too. You okay, laugh. Good. <laughs> <laughs> well, Ben, thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking your time. Um, if a listener wants to get a hold of you, Ben, how would they reach out to you? What's the best way to reach out to you? Yeah, sure. Um, you know, feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn. Um, my name is Ben Hengels on LinkedIn as it is here. And, um, or you can shoot me an e- email, uh, bhengels at legal.io, uh, legal.io. And we can, we can provide the spelling for that if needed. Yeah. Hengels is H-E-N-G-E-L-S and at legal.io is L-I-G-L dot I-O. So, Um, Yeah, absolutely. Ben, thank you so much. Hang tight, everyone. We'll be right back after this break for station identification. Get civil and you get a fast, custom-built website that looks great, brings you clients, and drops them right into your firm's systems. Civil partners perfectly with small firms by building the fastest sites in legal, handling digital marketing, enhancing your leads, and providing transparent analytics. They're civil to your other tech, too. Civil websites integrate with all legal case management systems, including Clio, Smokeball, MyCase, and Lawmatics. Get a free site audit with a no-obligation 15-minute demo about what Civil can do for your website. GetCivil.com. That's G-E-T-C-I-V-I-L-L-E dot com. All rise with Civil. A website from Civil fills your new client pipeline. Prospects find you through powerful SEO, and smart intake forms make it easy to integrate with Clio, Smokeball, Lawmatics, and MyCase. Never lose another lead. Get your civil bundle, website, SEO, content marketing, and Google Business Profile Management free for 60 days from the legal industry's best end-to-end lead generation platform. Book your demo at getcivil.com. That's getciville.com. Well, it's your favorite time of the show, everyone. Time for the listener's voice. And again, this is your opportunity to send me your comments, your questions, celebrations, and I read them on air. I really love hearing from you guys. And, you know, I hear from you guys not just via email, but also via my LinkedIn messenger. So I appreciate all the comments and questions that you guys are sending me. So continue to send me your listener's voice content and questions to devoted to law at gmail.com. That's D E V O T E D the number two L A W at gmail.com. And, uh, I love to hear from you guys. So with this, my, my listener voice comment today was from a listener that reached out to me on, uh, LinkedIn. I won't identify the individual, but, um, this particular individual was reaching out to me about, you know, what's, the biggest challenge that you have in, encountered um, making the transition from being a paralegal into legal operations. How did you do it? Is it so radically different? How do I do it? You know, this person was asking, just give me some insight, your tips and tricks on making that leap. And I love this question because I'm still a paralegal by heart, um, even though my title and my role has evolved 
into legal operations. So my biggest challenge was feeling, and you guys are going to be surprised because you're going to go, no, you didn't. I felt inadequate when I first made that transition, when I first, about four years ago, discovered legal operations, discovered that it was a career trajectory that I could grow professionally and uh, you could grow within a corporation, which is where I love to be now, is in-house corporate legal department. And so I saw this and reached out to my boss, my general counsel, and asked, can I join this particular organization, which is Corporate Legal Operations Consortium, or CLOC, C-L-O-C. And um, he was like, yeah, I would love for you to do that. I, I've been interested in the legal operations world as well, and I would love for you to, to do that. And so I did. And then that same year, about two or three months later, I saw that Clock was actually going to have their conference in Las Vegas, which directly next door to where I work. And so I was like, can I go to the conference? And he's like, yeah, absolutely, do it. So I went, and I first walked in, and there's, you know, it's a huge conference, about 2,000 people attend, and I thought, whoa, this is massive. Am I doing the right – am I supposed to be here? You know, how do I fit into this world? And started attending some of the sessions and was getting a lot out of the sessions. And it was probably the second day I went into a session that was a panel of um, three individuals. One was a GC and two were legal ops uh, directors. And these two individuals on this particular panel, as they were talking about the, the issue at hand, the topic that they were sharing, they mentioned that they had been paralegals, previously had been paralegals and then transition. And I was like, whoa, there's somebody else out there like me that, you know, made this leap. And I approached them after the presentation and, and was like, what advice would you give me new coming into this. And this is the advice I give to this particular individual that reached out to me on LinkedIn and to those listeners that are thinking about making a leap like this is, you know, you have the skill sets necessary to transition into a legal operations role. By design, paralegals are project managers. We're, we don't call ourselves project managers, but by design, that's what we do. We manage a case. And if you've been doing it for a few years or several years, being a paralegal, you've I have dealt with vendors, you've dealt with implementing systems, you've dealt with implementing processes. If you've been managing paralegals, you've been dealing with the whole people aspect, you've been a biller, you understand the business acumen of, you know, um, revenue and budgets. And, you know, so the whole composite of being a legal operations person is people, payments and processes. And those are things and skill sets that you already have. You just have to apply them to an in-house corporate legal department and apply that and add to your skill set and your successes. That's exactly what I did. There are different webinars and different um, sessions and things of that nature out there, organizations that help um, and help me grow professionally by just networking. That was a huge part of me transitioning into legal ops was getting into working with and networking with others like myself. And do you know, listeners, that I have found by and large, most legal operations professionals were paralegals. Um, a lot of them, very few that I have encountered so far, but I know they're out there, 
come from a finance background or come from, you know, have a JD and maybe they're a lawyer, there are those out there that, yes, that are in legal operations, but there are a lot like us that are paralegals that want to continue to grow uh, professionally. And just my advice is to just network and connect with individuals, you know, go to legal operations conferences and attend virtual webinars and things of that nature. That's how you grow professionally. And my biggest challenge that I encountered was just kind of believing in myself, knowing that I had the talent and skills to do it. And um, here I am now, five years later, really, uh, in a legal ops position and now as director of legal operations for a gaming hospitality industry. I love it. Absolutely love it. And so I challenge you guys to step outside your box if that's what you want to do and reach out to me um, if you're looking to, to transition into that. And so with that, that's all the time I have today for the Paralegal Voice. If you have questions about today's show, of course, email me at devotedtolaw@gmail.com. And stay tuned for more information and upcoming podcasts for exciting paralegal trends, news, and engaging and fun interviews from leading paralegals and other leading legal professionals. So thank you for listening to The Paralegal Voice, produced by the broadcast professionals at Legal Talk Network. If you'd like more information about today's show, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com, find Legal Talk Network on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn, or download Legal Talk Network's free app in Google Play and iTunes. And reminding you that I'm here to enhance your passion and dedication to the paralegal profession and make your paralegal voice heard. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, or subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Som. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.